What's up, everybody? So I want to let you know that the Alpha Brain Golden Ticket Sweepstakes are still going on. And that's just a rad opportunity not only to stock up on your Alpha Brain or give Alpha Brain a try. Because if you haven't tried Alpha Brain, it's definitely one of those tools that's different than any stimulant you've had and gets your brain firing in an absolutely different way. And that's what our clinical research has shown, and that's what everybody who's tried it. You know, we've sold over a million bottles of Alpha Brain, and the results are in. It works. It's awesome. So this is a great opportunity, though, because if you get the Golden Ticket Sweepstakes, everybody is a winner, and there's a bunch of cool shit that we're giving away, from kettlebell sets to different other products, to discounts. Every single person is going to be a winner if you go to the golden ticket sweepstakes so check it out on it.com slash golden ticket and then enter the code and fill in the entry form there's going to be a grand prize for one of you which is going to be a trip out here to austin and on hq so you'll be able to come hang at the hq and do all the awesome on it things so definitely check it out go to on it.com slash golden dash ticket and get your 30 count or 90 count bottle of alpha brain AJ Jacobs is an author that loves doing social experiments. In this podcast, we talk about his last book, which is A Year of Living Biblically, where he literally tried to follow all the rules in the Bible, and then his most recent book, It's All Relative, where he's going about building the largest family reunion in history. It's dope. He's an awesome human being, and his books are really, really interesting. Enjoy. Cousin. Cousin. <laughs> good to, good to meet you, cousin. Good yeah. to meet you. I didn't even know. Yeah. But no. now I know. Well, don't you feel it? Don't I you feel, feel the it. rapport? Yeah. I feel it's it. Family. Yeah. That's us. It's just, you just know when it's family, right? Yeah. You know, it's if just... you see a human, that's the, that's the <laughs> tip-off. That's the cue, right? Exactly. So for people who don't know what we're talking about, you just came out with a book called It's All Relative, and it shows through big data genealogy that, hey- we're all humans. We're all fucking related. Exactly. I mean, we heard it since we were kids, but now through science, we're able to see actually how we are related. And it can be through DNA. Like we all share 99.9% of our DNA. Uh, there's also these crazy big family trees online. So but- tell, tell us a little bit about that because that was something that I was surprised to hear because I know like you'd go do your 23andMe and then sometimes right. you know a few things will pop up like, oh, so-and-so did it and they're actually your like, second cousin, but it doesn't get that deep. No. Well, I do want to talk about this, of course, because that's my job, but can I just take a quick detour? Because sure. I loved listening to your podcast uh, in preparation for this and it was it was almost eerie because you were talking to Lewis Howes. Uh-huh. I think it was it was that interview, and you talked about the importance of gratitude, right. and that you've got to be so grateful for everything, like including the cup of coffee mm. every morning. Did I make that Indeed. up? Indeed, you did no. not make no. that up. <laughs> you did not make that up. And that was like, oh my god, because my next book, which was due a week ago, and which has uh, I have not written, but I will. Uh, <laughs> The premise is I take one of my great joys, which is my daily cup of coffee, and I go around the world thanking every single person who made it possible. So I went to Columbia and thanked the guys who picked the beans. I thanked the truck drivers, the logo designers, the guys who made the tires, the guys who like made got the rubber for the tire. So it's thousands of people. And the idea is just that. There are thousands of people involved in every little thing in life and we we take that for granted quite a bit we do your family made that coffee there you go your family my made the whole family. coffee you got to be grateful for yeah. a lot of members uh all right well sorry for the detour of I just course not that no was, that's great 
That was really happy uh, to talk more about that too, and talk more about your your first experimental book, which is a Year um, of Living Biblically. But first, you know, let, let's stick with this one track because right, I'm back re- on. Back back on. on. Uh, yeah. Well, this started because uh, like four years ago, I got an email from this guy out of the blue, and he said, "You don't know me, but I'm your eighth cousin." And of course, I thought, "All right, he's going to ask me to wire ten thousand dollars to Nigeria," <laughs> but he didn't. And it turns out he's part of this group. But of how people. are you going to get all that gold if you don't wire the money tonight? Like, <laughs> like how are you going to get that gold, AJ? If you got to wire true. the money first, you wire well, all the money first, and then the gold comes. Yes, that seems to be it, a pretty they, good like, deal. UPS is really good at just delivering gold bricks. <laughs> it just shows up. I it's heavier all, than you think. I you have to double tape it. Oh yeah, that is a that yeah. Because I've gotten the gold. <laughs> oh, Lots you have. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just send it, and the gold comes. It's That's amazing. That's your business. Either. Yeah, really. Actually, on it's just a front for my actual That's just right. wiring money. I'm also the king of many different other uh, oh, foreign places, and I just have to claim done. my throne sure. and all the wealth is of the kingdom. All right, yeah. so that'll be uh, tomorrow. You'll yeah, be going yeah. to Togo? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, it was nice knowing you while you were <laughs> a common person. Uh, but he was not actually a scam artist, and he was he was part of this group of scientists and researchers who are building what I like to call as the ultimate social network. It is a family tree that connects mm-hmm. everyone on earth. They don't have everyone yet, but we have, there's 200 million people in over 60 countries, and it's just nuts. And uh, it's through blood, it's through marriage, but it's like, I like to think of it as, you know, the Kevin Bacon, six degrees of Kevin Bacon, but we're all Kevin Bacon. <laughs> so there's, uh, like, for instance, Barack Obama is my, officially, my Fifth great aunt's husband's brother's wife's seventh great nephew. Like that oh, is a fam. Yeah, yeah fam. My brother practically. <laughs> um, but yeah, the point is that we are all cousins, like like you've heard since you were a kid, and now the farthest cousin you have on Earth, according to scientists, is probably about seventieth cousin. So that's like you and a guy who grows yams in Papua New Guinea, mm-hmm. and it is the hope is it's sort of quixotic that when we realize just how closely knit we are that people will uh you know it's not going to end all wars but people might be a little kinder to each other yeah and there is actually evidence there was a harvard study last year where they told palestinians and israelis how closely they were related and it changed their behavior made them kinder good so um and it's also good uh for like for business, because it is like LinkedIn. Like yeah. anyone you want to meet, you just say, "Hey, I'm your cousin." Dial it in. Would you? A, yeah. good, a good intro line. Yeah. Imagine the dating app, though. That could get really funny. That is. That, you know, if you're Tinder swiping, <laughs> and then you're like, "Oh, well, we're 42nd cousins." There you go. That's safe enough. Well, I, I think uh, we're. I think we're good. Exactly. You don't want to be too close. You don't want to be too. Well, that could be. That could be a good startup for you. Like, uh, <laughs> I have uh, enough to do. We'll let lot source that. Anybody who wants to take that idea, I've had some entrepreneurs on lately and if you're getting fired up with that entrepreneurial spirit right. take genealogy make it a dating app get really weird i, I don't it. think it'll work it might totally <laughs> fail it might be the last thing that people want to think about when they're actually trying to date but in any other circumstance sure. well it's I actually, incredibly valuable i did marry my cousin i have to say <laughs> she's not my first second she's like my sixth or seventh but it came back we got the dna and i was like oh my god i went in to tell her 
And I was actually psyched because I was like, forbidden fruit, this will be spicy. <laughs> she was freaked out. She was. This was weird. I didn't realize until later when I was writing it up. She was watching Game of Thrones when I told her. Uh-huh. So it was very appropriate. So she was. Whole... So just she, you and her dress up like Cersei and Jamie and just go, <laughs> just go full role play with it. And... We haven't yet, but thank you for the idea. Yeah, that, yeah, for sure. That sounds good. Or maybe you know, Jon Snow, Mother of Dragons. You know, I mean, totally. whatever. Yeah, you can play all kinds of different familiar relations. I'm going to the costume store right after this. Uh, I think it's incredibly important that we do this now because there's this other movement, which is to cling so closely to your to your identity and to your you know your culture and say no no this is my culture and you can't have any piece of my culture it's protected it's all for me and don't even think about being a part of it when really that's all bullshit we're all interrelated it's all one world culture all one world tribe great that's what i want like focus on the human tribe not or even the um you know, the conscious beings tribe, right. uh, because it is, it's weird how much we are into separatism now. It really seems in the zeitgeist, and, and that is not helpful to no, us. No, it's not helpful at all. No, and it's really causing, you know, divisiveness and just the whole thing politically, everything. Uh, every part of life is now really, uh, they're trying to separate. And it's, and all the weird thing is, is it is also artificial because we are all so mixed. Mm-hmm. Um, there's these white supremacists who are taking the DNA tests and finding out that they're part black or part Jewish and freaking out. And they are they're they're on these alt right websites. There have been pieces about how they are saying, "Oh, this is wrong." These twenty three and me, these geneticists are genetics deniers. Yes, that's they a, are that's genetic a, deniers. <laughs> I love that. That's the new thing that's coming uh, out. Yeah, because they can't handle that idea that we handle. actually really are connected. And what. What boggles my mind in researching this book was it's not just that there is no such thing as racial purity. There's not even species purity because we most of us are part Neanderthal. There you go. Yeah. There you go. So our two thousandth <laughs> great grandpa, like he went out and had a, a little fling uh-huh. with a human and uh, or a Neanderthal. And look, if it's a Neanderthal human, it may not have even been a fling. This might have been a little more aggressive. I know. <laughs> I like to say you're right. <laughs> it's you're possible. Right it's possible it might have been a little bit rough around the edges <laughs> I know. in that encounter. I don't know Neanderthals. Yeah. So, you know, I can't speak. Maybe they That's were romantic. True. Do not stereotype Neanderthals. No, I, I shouldn't. There is actually, I read up on them, and scientists say they de- they get a bad rap. First of all, they did have the gift of speech, uh-huh. and it wasn't just any speech. Apparently, they had a high-pitched, raspy voice like Julia Child. That's How did litter. they know that? that was, How do they know it's that? It's science. <laughs> <laughs> so don't argue with science. Are you a science denier? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I buy that 100%, but it was in the New York Times. It uh-huh. wasn't in, like, the Inquirer. Yeah, they might have been, like, little Casanova. They might have been just gathering flowers by the brooks and sure. coming up and saying, hey, humans, That's what you're I'm hoping. really beautiful. I'm not, the, I'm not the most eloquent, but I love you. <laughs> or they could have just been swinging a giant dick in a big club oh, and going the other way. We don't know. No. I'm going know. for like the Romeo and okay. Juliet. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like okay. their parents disapprove. We're, we're, like, <laughs> we are in love. 
And it's not just Neanderthals. Other groups like Asians have uh, part are part Denisovan. So it's just a big old we're mutts, and I love mm. the muddiness of humans. And this idea of purity is just, I think, dangerous. I think it's incredibly dangerous, and I think it's a game that the ego likes to play because if you can claim separateness, then you can claim superiority, and then if you can claim superiority, then you can start to denigrate other people. Then you God, can, that's exactly you know, so, so if the true. ego can say, "No, I'm distinct. I'm separate, and these people are worse than me somehow," so I'm. Superior. It's this right. kind of zero sum game. I love what you just said. I'm going to try to record this and repeat that because <laughs> yeah. I agree. It's like in group and out group, and it's just ridiculous because we are all the same group. I mean, one thing which a, a brilliant scientist and I were talking about this, and he proposed one way to get people together is that. When we have a common enemy. So if there is an alien invasion, mm. then all humans would be like, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's got... Independence Day, right? Yeah, I mean, it's that's all, right. All the premises for these movies where we can rally as a species right. finally against the common enemy. So my idea and my pitch is somehow to turn global warming, climate change into that common enemy. Some mm. put an evil face on it so that we're all like, oh, my God. We right. are in trouble. We got abandoned. And not just warming. It could be any of the different other. Could be the potential for an asteroid to come wipe right. us out. It could be. And I think that's the that's the way that we actually need to rally. But as long as we're dividing amongst ourselves and fighting amongst ourselves, I mean, look at look at we mentioned Game of Thrones. Like, look at any strategy in war. What's the best strategy in war? Well, get the people fighting amongst themselves, and then they're not able to fight off the actual threat that's coming because they're so busy with their all small tribal wars. It's like when Genghis Khan had all the nomadic steppe people and they were all battling each other trying right. to find whose steppe people were going to be the dominant ones. And he's like, no, 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 no. We're all going to rally together and then we're going to go take over the rest of the world. It did work for you him. Know, like it worked <laughs> for him, right? And for us, you know, it's not about taking over other people anymore. It's about surviving as a fucking species know, we've, against we've you know, the next so giant many... super volcano or global warming or Pandemics, asteroid or whatever. AI. We've got so many existential threats mm-hmm. that we could uh, we need to band together because we can't solve them like country by country. So, yeah, I love that. And even on a very local level, it, it has affected my mind. Like, I'll give you this is a trivial example. This is not apocalyptic end of the world stuff. But, you know, Judge Judy, the. Um, I do, unfortunately. Yes, I do. Personally, you know no, her? Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> so I always hated her. You know, she just thought she was so obnoxious and, and nasty. But then <laughs> I found out she's my eighth cousin. She's a blood cousin. And I, it made me, it actually made my mind shift. I was like, you know what? Let me give her the benefit of the doubt. She's not so bad. Right. She's just cousin Judy. She's doing a shit. <laughs> She's probably a sweetheart underneath. And sure. that's what I, I hope the Judge Judy effect actually could, uh, it, once we all start seeing how concrete these connections are, maybe we will, the Judge Judy effect will save us all. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It's the, it's the good side of tribalism versus the dark side of tribalism. The dark side of exactly. tribalism is protect your tribe and attack and, and make yourself superior. And, and you know, there's a scarcity of resources, so you got to take your tribe and make sure you survive at the cost of everybody else. And then there's the light side of tribalism, which is within the internal tribe, which is everybody shares everything. Right. We're all in it for the common good. But if we can expand tribalism 
to the entire world, right. then we eliminate that dark That's side of tribalism. That's the idea, is to try to take... I mean, it, it is an official cognitive bias. Uh, they call it the family bias, family heuristic, where you think, oh, this person shares DNA, I'm going to be a little kinder to them. Even though I know there are lots of family feuds, I have three sons and they like are scratching each other's eyes out. So there is... It's not perfect, but it's definitely treated better. And I love what you said because to me, I always try to make a distinction between tribalism and being part of a community like mm-hmm. that. Tribalism, I put as the bad, like, you know, separateness, in-group, out-group. Being a part of a community is where you support each other and there's so much studies on, you know, people who go to church live longer. I and I'm, I don't believe in God, so I don't think it's because God's like, these guys are better. I'm going to kill right. all the sinners. It's because they have such a strong, knit, tight community that is really good for their, uh, for their psyche and for their sure. stress level. So, yes, if we can take community, lower the walls so that there's lots of mixing and matching, and, uh, and then I think it'll be a better world. Yeah, I agree. And I think if you look back historically, like I did my test and I found out that I was like 87% Ashkenazi Jew and it just like blew my mind. Like, whoa. What did you think? I didn't know. Like, you had really, no idea? I really didn't know. You know, I knew that a lot of my descendants were from the Black Sea in Russia and I knew that there was some Jewish heredity, but I had no idea really? what percentage that was and nor had any idea that it was that high and, and started thinking about that. And, you know, the Jews have had a strong tribal identity, but I think even at the very drop, by calling yourself the chosen people, you're putting a big target on yeah, your back, I'm right? Not it's a like fan of that I'm separate. Phrase. I'm separate, and you're different. We're chosen. We're not. And so, right. of course, it's just rife for conflict. It's like a, you want to yeah. create conflict, say, "Oh, my people, because of a certain reason, are better than your people." Yeah, that, like, is. that is the way that every every tribe can cause conflict, rather than saying, "No, no, we're all the chosen people. We're all same." Right. You know, let's figure this out. And that together. is what the more liberal Jews are. Of course, that's what Jews. actually people believe. But I think right. historically there was probably. It's you a know, problematic phrase. It's it a problematic a phrase. It's a problematic yeah. phrase. Yeah, totally. Uh, like maybe you could do like James Altucher, choose yourself. We choose ourselves. You ever yeah. know that guy? He wrote Yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, uh, I agree with you. Uh, so how did you grow up? You didn't grow up. Uh, not religious. not religious. No, not religious. I mean, we celebrated Christmas, and then when my grandma was in town, we'd light the menorah and do some Hanukkah stuff too. So I got to go both sides of the both sides of the spectrum. But we kind of took the religiosity out of it. And right. I've of course been on my own, you know, experiential spiritual path where I've tried to figure out the truths that make sense for me the right. most. Well, and yeah, that's been, I, I heard about your trips down to was it down South, to South America? South yeah. America yeah. Started with a vision quest, and when I was eighteen, and just kind of carried on from there and that's where i've kind of developed my own metaphysical understandings right. which are that we're truly on a spiritual and consciousness level all the same yeah but then to bring it in all the way through to the body and the genes and realize no no not just spiritually consciously metaphysically are we all the same we're actually physically all related right it's all a family and, and, and i have a chapter on like there really was an adam and eve not like in the bible and they didn't live in the garden of eden but in africa two hundred thousand years ago there were two people, out of thousands of people, there were thousands of wannabe Adam and Eve's, but these are the two whose genes all came down to us. So we share part of their their DNA, you, me, Miley Cyrus. So explain that you know. to me. How is, how is it that two were able to pass that? Were they just the right mutation that kind of had the genetic advantage that 
then distributed to the greatest number of people and that's they created exactly momentum. Right. That's yeah. exactly and all the others just petered out. They didn't they, they got to a level where they did not have descendants. One branch of their tree just stopped having descendants for whatever reason. So so these two people, mitochondrial Eve and Y chromosomal Adam, they are all our Probably about fifteenth great grandparents. So I do try to think of that. Like, how did someone... it start? How did it start small though? Because you you wonder, like, you know, at a certain point you have the inbreeding issue, right? Like, if if it just started from them too, then they had to cross. I guess they just went out and started cross mingling immediately. Right. Well, the weird thing is they were not a couple. Oh, okay. So they were probably maybe hundreds of years apart in different parts of Africa. But you can trace it back to just kind but of. But that's want, your uh-huh. exactly. And I love to think, like, when someone cuts me off on the highway, I'm like, I'm trying to think, all right, what would 2000th great-grandpa think? <laughs> like, he wouldn't want us to fight, even though he probably would, because they were probably <laughs> horrible tribal people back then. But it's a it's a uh, sort of a heuristic to try to help me be less angry. So you brought up Adam and Eve, so I got to talk to you about your experiment where you decided to live a year biblically like following the literal the literal word of the bible right and so you gotta you gotta <laughs> tell me that story because i haven't been able to do that much research i want the story all right i would love it uh well i grew up like you i'm jewish but we had very little or no religion mm-hmm. uh i say in the book i'm jewish in the same way the olive garden is italian <laughs> so not very no offense to the olive garden good breadsticks <laughs> but uh i wanted to I wanted to do two things. First, I wanted to see, am I missing anything? Because, you know, half the world is, is religious. Is there sure. some experience I'm missing and my life and kids are the poorer for it? Secondly, I hear all the time, oh, I'm we follow the Bible literally. And I was like, you really? Really you do? So, yeah. And, yeah, they're like, yeah, the Bible says it's homosexuality is an abomination. So, And I'd be like, well, yeah, but it also says that you cannot wear clothes made of of mixed fibers, and it, <laughs> and it says you have to um, kill people who work on the Sabbath. So I'm like, let me see what it really would be like to yeah. live by the Bible. Let me show these people this is literal living. So you had to so, kill so many people that year, AJ. Oh, oh yeah, because it's not just Sabbath breakers. It's astrologers mm. and Kids who I'd are lose, I'd lose some good friends if I had to kill my astrologers, <laughs> for sure. Some good I'm friends. Sorry. Man, well, that's a bummer. That's, that, I better that's, not do that experiment. That's what they say. Yeah. So that's what you got to do. But yeah, so I stone just like, stone is the stone preferable. Em. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought, all right, I'm I'm going to follow every rule in the Bible without picking and choosing. And there are hundreds of them. So I followed the famous ones like the Ten Commandments and Love Your Neighbor. But I also followed those other ones like Stoning Adulterers. I used pebbles. I used a very small stone. So I didn't act. Although he didn't like it. Even though it was small, he was kind of pissed off. So, uh, but... I thought it was a fascinating experiment because it, was, it wasn't it was one-sided. I didn't come away thinking all of this is ridiculous and stupid. Uh-huh. I, there was lots of wisdom to be taken, like the idea of gratitude was mm-hmm. big in the Bible. Love your neighbor. I'm a big fan of that. And rituals. I had never really gotten into rituals, but I think a ritual is uh, – if it doesn't hurt anybody, it, it can be a beautiful thing, a beautiful way to bond. Uh, so so it was a very mixed bag, and uh, in some ways it was the worst year of my life, and in some ways the best. 
That's really interesting. So you actually took a pebble and found someone who you knew was adultering, and you just kind of just kind of pinged him with it. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I <laughs> was you in guys, the middle of the yard. Yeah, he, it, was, it was middle of the year, and I was in Central Park. I was actually getting very into it, so I looked the part. I had uh-huh. a robe and sandals and a huge beard. The Bible says you cannot shave the corners of your beard. Uh-huh. I didn't know where the corners were, so to be safe, you just let the whole yeah, thing. Yeah. So I looked it's like... Good. It's good to be safe. Yeah, You're on the side of caution. Safe. Totally. So I had that, and um, and it's a weird, that was another big theme, how much the outer affects the inner, which mm. I think you've talked about here, mm-hmm. just like behavior really affects your, your, your mental state. So I was looking very biblical, and a guy came up to me, and he said, why are you dressed like that? I explained, I'm following all the rules of the Bible, the Ten Commandments, uh, and stoning adulterers and everything in between. And he says, well, I'm an adulterer. Are you going to stone me? And I said, that would be awesome. What a lovely offer. <laughs> Thank you. And I had, I had a hand uh, a pocket full of pebbles because I had been carrying them around. Of course. Hoping to rush. Sure, you got to be prepared. You got, yeah. You can't uh, be searching for a stone when you come no. across an adulterer. So um, I showed him. I held my hand out. And I was like, you know, I would just throw the – he got very aggressive and angry. And he grabbed him out of my hand and threw him at my face. So I was like, all right. Wow. An eye for an eye, also uh. in the Bible. I picked one up and I threw it at him. Uh, I don't usually mention he was like 78 years old. So it was <laughs> – wasn't <laughs> I shouldn't have been that scared, but it was actually very <laughs> tense. It was a very tense confrontation, uh, and I, you know, I stopped stoning adulterers after the year. I don't think that's the proper way <laughs> to. Uh, but actually, this is an interesting segue because there was in the Bible, uh, especially in the the <clears throat> Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, there was a lot of. Um, multiple marriage there mm-hmm. was you know david had 12 wives solomon had 700 wives which is like why you know that's just i mean how do you do that you got to marry them all or i mean do you have ceremonies for all of them that's, that's like a that's like question. a lot of ceremonies that's like a lot of weddings a lot of feasts I a lot of invites of that. yeah you know? that wedding planner must have been banking <laughs> Solomon's wedding planner was richer than King Solomon for that sure. That's an awesome job. What do you do? I'm Solomon's wedding. Oh, you're in the money. We're on number 650. <laughs> I'm coming out. I'm running out of new ideas here. Um, so, yeah, that was interesting. And and I actually I interviewed the head of the Poly- Polygamy Association, which he was a very far-right Christian who was really taking the Bible literally. And his advice to me was go out and – Get a second wife, marry her first, then come back and tell my current wife. Uh, because at that point, it's a done deal. Oh, it's deal. such a good idea. It's such a good <laughs> idea. like a great such idea. Such a good idea. Yeah. Uh, for sure follow that guy's yeah, advice. He seems to know what he's doing. <laughs> uh, but then in this book about family, I examine family from all different angles. So I have a chapter on polyamory, uh-huh. and I loved listening to you talk about that. So I actually would love, I can tell you what I learned, and yeah. then you can tell me. Please. I mean, one of the things that I found really fascinating was this idea of um, anti-jealousy, Yeah, which is the idea that uh, you should be happy if your partner, your sexual partner, has another successful uh, partner. Right. So it's, and, and their word, I don't know if it's common, was compersion. Yep. You, so you've heard, heard of that, that word. Mm-hmm. Now, here's my question. How do you cultivate compersion? Because I 
think that if my wife started <laughs> dating another guy, I would feel a lot of things, but not happiness. Yeah, you want to stab the other guy in the throat. That's the <laughs> exactly. first. That's the first feeling, and that's the the feeling that we're trained to have. And again, I think that's there's the dark side of human emotion, then there's the light side. But let's let's take an example that we're more comfortable with. Let's say your wife had a, a really good meal, uh-huh. like a great meal, and you'd be like, "Oh, good for you." I mean, you wouldn't be like, "Oh man, fuck." can't True. believe you ate that without me. Like, how dare you? And some people actually are like that. Like, oh, you had that food without me? You went to that restaurant without me? You know? <laughs> like, there are some people who would get yeah, jealous yeah, the, yeah, about that. But, like, your wife had a great meal, and you'd be happy for it, right? I mean, most people can get to that point. Right. Right? And then maybe you could actually also take it a little further. And let's say your wife had a great massage by a male masseuse. Well, interesting. On our honeymoon, she got a massage, and the guy massaged her breasts. We were in Italy, and I was like, that's not cool. And she's like, when in Italy, when in Rome, that's what they do. And I'm like, jeez. So that was a little too much. Right. But just a gentle, let's say it didn't involve the breasts, and your wife said, man, I just had a great massage today. Right. You know, and then you can get comfortable with that, probably, right? Yeah. Most people could right. imagine that. Some people can't. Yeah. Some people for them already, the idea that someone could give physical pleasure mm-hmm. to someone that you love is already taboo. But it's just the logical extension of that and understanding that we are sexual, physical, emotional beings. And then if two people, your wife, well, first of all, if, if your partner is enjoying something physically, the only proper response is happy for them. It's right? very logical and, and then And then yeah. on the other side, then that's when it becomes a stretch because then you have to also connect with the other person. He's your family. He's your cousin. There he's you the same as you. Uh-huh. And he's also having a pleasurable experience. So your cousin and your wife are also both cumulatively having a mutually pleasurable experience. So the only proper response should be to be happy for both of them. Right. But that's not what we're taught. But ultimately, there's the truth in that. Like two people giving each other pleasure, you should be happy for both those people. Now, if someone is hurting someone you love, well, then you you have a right to be angry. Right. Right. But if two people are actually giving each other pleasure, you really have no fundamental emotional right to be mad at either of that's them. That's very interesting. You know, and so, so that's that's the thing that you have to work with. Now, is that easy? No, 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 no. And how do you do easy. that? How do you cultivate that? I mean, I think what you just said is a good thought experiment. You yeah. just try to compare it to like a good meal, a good massage, and like the sort of ramp it up. Yeah, is ramp it up. The, and then yeah, and that's and that's where you figure out where you get off the bus and where you're like <laughs> like you can imagine, all right, what if it's an erotic massage? What if, you know, like mm-hmm. you said, what if they did touch the breasts? Or what if there was a physical release like an orgasm like back in the day doctors used to you know manually stimulate females for the symptom the, for the condition they called hysteria where I they remember would, reading that that yeah. was wild so that was the doctors were doing that all the time women would come and then in the on, vibrator came yeah. and saved them a lot of manual yeah. labor i that think was... the first vibrator i just read yesterday was called like granville's hammer or something it was sexy. yeah and it was like in the 1880s and the doctors then had a vibrator that they could use to manually stimulate women to orgasm and apparently the men back then were like, oh, my wife's hysterical. Got to go to the doctor, <laughs> have an orgasm, release that. Well, you know, so in the culture then that wasn't an issue. Right. Right. They so should be happy for they them. should. Yeah. Like, oh, good. She got, she, you know, she got to release herself right. in that way. And then similarly, the men had different other, you know, options. Prostitution was legal in a lot of the places. And I think wives kind of understood like, oh, there's, he's just having sex with this. So it's not that these things are 
innate that we have to feel that way, mm-hmm. but the culture mm-hmm. will determine largely how we feel. Exactly. And as we start to shift the culture, then we can shift how we feel. And I think some people think these jealousies and this this anger towards that is innate, but it's really not because other cultures don't have it, like the Himba tribe. You know, the Himba tribe in uh, in Africa, they will, they're a nomadic tribe, and all of the men except for one will leave the village and take their cows on a long walkabout that'll take a few weeks to go out and get a, eat all the grasses before they come back home. They'll leave one man back in the village, and that man's responsibility is to pleasure all the women. Mm, and they all rotate, so everybody gets that opportunity. Everyone gets a turn. Everyone gets a turn, and that's just their culture. So for them, it would be crazy for all the men to come back right. and be like, oh, my God, you slept <laughs> with everybody. Like, oh, man, thanks for taking care of all our wives. That's interesting. See, I would push back a little bit on not being innate. I'm not, and I don't in, uh, equate innateness to good mm. because I think that that's the naturalist, fa- naturalistic fallacy. To not just because we're programmed to do something does not mean it's good, you know. Um, so, but I would say, like looking at monkeys, they do seem to get like there's the alpha depends. male. It depends if you're talking chimps or bonobos. Which is true, that's right? Because bonobos don't have that, but chimps do, and right. gorillas do. Right, so there's different animal models that we can look at, but if you look at our DNA relative, our closest relative is the bonobo, not the chimp. And so I, I would argue that we're farther on the bonobo side, and it's more of a more of a tribal relationship that we're actually more comfortable with. Right. And I've found that myself. So in my own personal experience, when it's someone else that I'm a friend of, like I'm friends with, and they're you know having a sexual encounter with my fiance then it's way easier for me because it feels like it's all within the tribe. Right. But when I don't know that person, then it's then it's like a stranger just stole my car and I don't know if he's joyriding it or I don't know if he's like, what's going on there? Well, maybe thinking of it as the family. It's thinking of it as the family. Judy effect, you can be more comfortable. Because if I actually love you know, and really respect that person and I respect, it's like a double win. Two people that I really love or really like at least, you know, are both experiencing something good. So I think we're actually innately, we're, we have this kind of tribal sensibility. And as, as soon as we can expand, which is what your book's talking about, expand right. that vision of tribalism, then I think, you know, these more open uh, relationships are going to become more common. Right. That's it. Well, I did, um, I, when I went to hang with the polyam, I went to a polyamory support group meeting for polyamorous families, uh-huh. which was fascinating. And I, another word that I didn't know was uh, metamore. Is that a common word? No, I haven't heard that one. Uh well, th- what they were using, it's like a paramour of a paramour, so a metamor. So it's your lover's lover and that you are some – that person is, in a sense, in your family. So it's just what you were talking mm-hmm. about. It's like you've got to have warm feelings towards the guy who's having sex with your fiancé. Yeah. Which is not, and that's – it's yeah. way easier when you can get there. It's right. way harder when you can't. If there's any tension between you and the metamor – then it's really hard. Mm. Then that's when all of the feelings come up and the anger comes up and it gets really, really challenging. So that's something that if any, and this is, look, I'm not necessarily even recommending this to anybody because it's really hard to reprogram these these ideas. And we've seen in our social group, other people try it and it's always a crash and burn, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but I'm so committed to to the truth that I understand philosophically and, and spiritually about us being same and that pleasure is pleasure, that love is love, love is not in scarcity, love is in abundance, that I've just said, all right, I know I'm feeling these things, I recognize these things, but these are things are things that I can work on. Yeah. And then I'm going to lean into them and use those to help propel me to a greater understanding right. myself. So 
Can I give you my one concern, which sure. I, I actually I have an answer to, but I'd love to hear your answer. Um, I don't have any moral problems with polyamory, but um, logistically, what I worry about, sort of, as someone who's a beta, I would say like beta plus. I'm not an alpha male. I'm mm-hmm. sort of. My concern is you'd get the the billionaires you'd, and men and women, uh, and they would monopolize. They would have like. A hundred why a hundred girlfriends, and sort of the the dweeby people would be left like playing Dungeons and Dragons with each other. <laughs> so that is, I I have an answer to that, but I'd love to hear what you think. Well, I think that's in the old model where you would collect like a harem or you'd collect Solomon's wives. Solomon's wives probably couldn't sleep with anybody else; they just had to wait their turn. That's not the system we're creating. You can't hoard anything. Time is, you know, if you're not with somebody you got to be encouraging them to be with somebody else. So, yeah, billionaires may get more turns and more access to different people, but their time is still in scarcity. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not going to be able to spend that time. And they have no right morally and fundamentally, emotionally, to restrict any of their lovers from primary to number 700 from seeing anybody else. So you can only really be with a certain number of people. And if they're completely free and open and available, they're going to explore different interests. Right. You know, they'll, so they'll have their once a month or two month encounter with Bruce Wayne, you know, but then ultimately they're going to have to get the nourishment of a stable, regular relationship with all of the other men. So it doesn't actually create any more scarcity because you're only really able to spend as much time as there is time. Right. I like that. Person. I like that answer. I mean, that was one of the things that astonished me of about this was the, the logistics and they talked about their Google calendars that they share and they just looked like, I don't know, like a mosaic, you know, like, <laughs> like a Byzantine rug. Yeah, because so, they get really, you schedule it all out and I'm not really into that. It's just kind of like we're free. And if it's in the flow and, and it kind of makes sense, everybody's free to kind of experience that without the feelings of anger or jealousy. And we can put up red flags and think like, oh, I think that person's being a little manipulative. I don't really trust them. Like, what do you think? We'll right. have those conversations. It's not like a free-for-all. But it's actually, you know, it's not – it's also not anything planned. Like, we have big orgy parties or something like that. I've actually had very few lovers in the years that, you know, I've been with Whitney. She's had very few. But the freedom to be able to. Is really allows us to breathe and also allows us to be impeccably honest. Right. You know, like we just, there is not a shred of anything that, you know, that we have to hide from each other. Like she has, you know, a huge crush on Jason Momoa and, you know, who's the new Aquaman, you know, and it's like <laughs> instead of just talking to her girlfriends about it because her fiance would get jealous if she talked about how, you know, sexually exciting that Aquaman looked in the new previews of, of the of the Justice League. It's something that we can all have a right. conversation about. And it's it's nice to have yeah. that, you know, because a lot of people say, oh, it's my best friend, but they keep a lot of things right. from them. And, and truly, I can say that Whitney, yeah, is my best friend because we can talk about anything. That's it. You know, it reminds me of a, another project I did like 10 years ago now called Radical Honesty, mm. where... Um, I uh, there's this psychologist in Virginia who uh, who believes that we should never lie. But he goes further. He says whatever's on our brain should come out of our mouth. So that is radical honesty. And I practiced that for a couple of months. And again, in some ways, it was the greatest month of my life. And in many ways, it was the worst. But because he really buys into this philosophy. So if you 
are with your, you know, if you have a crush on your wife's sister, you you tell your wife and you tell the sister. So, um, and, you know, same with the job. Like, I hate working here. You tell your boss. So uh, I tried that, and I'll give you the bad, and then I'll give you the good. Like, the bad with things like I went to a restaurant with my wife, and we saw friends of hers from college that she hadn't seen in years. Mm -hmm. And they were like, oh, we should all get together and have a play date with our kids. So I had to say what was on my mind, which was, you guys seem like nice people, but I really have no interest in ever seeing you again. Because <laughs> because I have so many like friends from college or yeah, work that sure. I never get to see. It's just time management, like you said. So they were not happy. My wife was not happy. I mean, we didn't never did see them again. So in that sense, it was effective. But I don't <laughs> think it was it was not a happiness make. So that was the downside. The upsides there were quite a few upsides. One was just the feeling of liberation of never having to remember your lies. Like I, yeah. I couldn't believe how much energy goes into remembering and crafting what, a story. You know how you're going to present the information. Exactly. You know how you're going to shade this a certain way so that right. it's received in a certain way. Yeah, I think Bertrand Russell, you know, talked about how if everybody had a technology that allowed you to read everybody else's mind for the first few days or weeks or however long it took, everyone would retreat to their house in horror mm -hmm. of just all the thoughts that were going around. But then eventually everybody would just get used to it and be like, oh, yeah, there's people. People are sexually interested in people. They have weird, occasionally frustrated, violent thoughts, and they have weird – we're all the same. We all have the same run things running through our head, and right. it's not that big a deal. I'd be interested to see. You know, what, but it would have to be kind of universal because right. as, as – obviously, as you saw, if you're the outlier there and yeah. people aren't used to it, you're going to exactly. get a lot of cringes. I I would love to see that. Or, well, I may not love to see that. <laughs> I, I will say another positive was, you know, people think of radical honesty as the same as brutal honesty. Like, you know, you yes, you look fat in that dress type of thing. But it doesn't always have to be negative. It can be quite positive. So – because you also have to say what you appreciate about people. So I remember I was I was one day working on an article and I thought of my old boss at a tiny newspaper and how much he mentored me and what a good guy he was. So I just called him out of the blue after 10 years and it's like, just want to thank you and tell you how much he meant to me. And that was very moving. I don't know. He might have been freaked out. But I think on a on a deeper level, he appreciated it. And I know that I felt better. Sure. So I think that radical positive honesty is, is something we should definitely practice, even if we don't go the full Monty. Yeah, and you also have to do the own work on your own judgmental processes, right? Like this idea of brutal honesty also has baked in the fact that you're going to be judgy as shit. You know, right. like you don't need to be judgy. You don't need to look at someone and focus on their flaws. You know, like that's not necessary. You can look at them as same and understand where it came from and understand maybe they're holding on to some trauma. Maybe they're stressed. Maybe right. they have these other things. So they haven't had the time to take care of their body. So it's not like, ew, you're fat or ew, you're the, you know, you can transcend that judgmental thing and express your truth right. in a much more positive way. So true. I mean, that actually reminds me of during the year of living biblically. It said not to gossip. So I tried uh -huh. that, and that is so hard. So hard. Because that is like 70% of my conversation. But <laughs> I will say it definitely had a transformative effect on me. And I think the way I analyzed it was uh, I would see someone, I would have a negative thought, but then I never expressed it. And after a while, my brain was like, 
stop generating negative thoughts as much because it's like, yeah, it's useless. It's not going to mm-hmm. get out there. Why not just focus on something else instead of, you know, him being fat, like, you know, that he isn't whatever. Nice. Again, that's a, that's another little game of the ego and a little clickish dark side of bonding. It's like the, the, the black magic side of bonding with your little group. If your little group can identify you as better, as distinct from another group of your friends because they're doing this thing, then it makes you feel better about For yourself. Sure. But ultimately, that is the dark side of this. I am separate. I am different. So I am better. And it, it can bond people temporarily, just like saying, you know, just like white separatists, you know, can temporarily bond themselves together by saying everybody else is somehow lesser, somehow worse. Right. You do that in a micro level in your friend group when you talk shit about your other friend group <laughs> and it actually will bond you together, but it's not the right way to bond you together. Plus, yeah, it, it's uh, eventually it's toxic it because is. when I was not gossiping, I I felt lighter. I felt ha- more optimistic about human nature and that made me happier and then that would have an infectious uh, uh, result on other people. And so, yeah, and... I did go back full on to gossip. I, I, you know, I'm human, so I still gossip. Mm-hmm. But I do try to be very aware and, yeah. and limit my gossip to uh, to just the crucial, crucial yeah. gossip. <laughs> and I, you know, I've I've definitely become aware of that not from the Bible, but from Don Miguel Ruiz's Four Agreements, like be impeccable with your word. He spends a quarter of his book talking about you know talking about that you know being impeccable and i i find it's just such a common practice and there's there's you know explaining the facts and but the way that you present it and the way that you look at it you know someone may be going through something it's not like you ignore it and you don't talk about it like oh wow you know that relationship is really starting to turn a little toxic you know like that can be a fact like you can see the symptoms of that but instead of it being like gossipy and separatist being like you know i wonder how we could support that process that's right. going on you know it's not a denial of things that are actually happening but just your attitude towards it can change so you can still talk about yeah if you're you know two of your friends are having a hard time in a relationship all right acknowledge that but instead of it being judgmental be like oh yeah we've all been there i wonder what we could do to help support them a little bit better that is a lovely thought yeah i like that I think that's the way to do it because you can't i think part-time it's so hard because you do have to talk about the things that are going on in right. a, in any kind of community you know, the the health of the community is only as strong as the health of the parts and the health of the individual bonds. Right. You know, obviously, like if you're at a dinner party and, a, you know, a couple is fighting dramatically, it's going to affect the whole dinner party. Right, right. So, but, you know, instead of trying to excise them, which is an option and sometimes a necessary option, you could also try to say, all right, how do we bring them in? How do we, you know, support them in a way that actually elevates them beyond whatever troubles they're going I through? I like that a lot. I like that a lot. And and as you say, yeah, some gossip is it's not. I wouldn't even qualify it as gossip. I'm almost warnings. Like if if there's I'm a writer, and if there's an editor who's a real asshole, yeah, then, uh, then I will tell my writer friends be wary of this guy. But yeah, that most of gossip though is gratuitous and just yeah. makes us feel good. Because yeah. as you say, it's like oh, I'm superior to that person. It's the whole idea of Schadenfreude that we talked about with um, compersion and jealousy. Uh-huh. Uh, one thing I try to cultivate is self-schadenfreude, which is the feeling of when something terrible is happening to me, I try to disconnect myself and have and realize, you know what, this is horrible. Like, I don't know what, you know, I am, uh, uh, I'm having, uh, 
food poisoning and I'm vomiting all night and I'm miserable. Why is this happening to me? Instead, I try to think, you know what? This will make a fun story. Mm. At like, you know, next time I'm with my friends or at a wedding toast. Uh, and th then I try to like think, how will I shape this narrative? Like, you know, maybe try to come up with a fun analogy to like what when I'm vomiting out. So, <laughs> so it's self-schadenfreude. I think is a good thing to cultivate because uh, it helps you deal with these really horrible situations. Yeah. Uh, I, well, I, I talk about that as having um, having hindsight is foresight. Like in hindsight, you'll look back at that thing and you'll tell a funny story and it'll be like, oh, man, that would suck. But, you know, it's not a big deal to you in the future. And right. maybe it even provided value. Maybe it was a funny story and that's it. Or maybe it actually made you stronger. Maybe it taught you something about eating street food at a certain time of night. Or maybe it, whatever it was, there was some value. Right. And generally we look back at our life in hindsight and see all the value from everything. And a lot of us can say, yeah, you know what? I wouldn't change a thing. You know, like I learned from everything that happened. Right. I appreciate everything that happened. But in at the time, we don't have the foresight to see what our hindsight is going to tell us. I love that. So, yeah, you know, it's a great way having to that it. through the process, be like, all right, I'm going to either get stronger from this, I'm going to learn something from this, or I'm going to have a hell of a funny story. Right. <laughs> and that'll help you get through the, the totally. dark Totally. And even if I think we're very good at rationalizing as humans, so... I think we have a when we should cultivate the skill of um, figuring out how this made us better, even if yeah. it really didn't. And I, I try to tell that to him, like my one of my sons had a had a huge um, birthmark on his leg, and he had to go into surgery. But now he's got this super cool scar that mm -hmm. everyone who sees it is like, oh, man, you look badass. <laughs> and so that's what I try to tell him is like this is a metaphor for life. You know, you've got something bad but you got to find the good that comes out of it yeah and i think people get tripped up because you know they don't like when you say everything happens for a reason mm -hmm. and i don't like that either because i think I there is either. chaos and there are things but you I'm can make everything that has happened have a reason there you go we, you know like we, you ha we have it. that ability to right. impose a reason and choose to grow stronger from the things that happen, 100%. or choose where we could choose to let it just destroy us, and right. you know, be a, you know have that victim mindset and just say, "Oh, woe is me," you know, we could choose that too, and that's but that what's going to yield a better life? Right. You know, let's get real pragmatic here. Let's get real William James and just get pragmatic. The choice of saying, "Yeah, that had value. I'm going to grow stronger totally. from it." And also, what you just said about uh, you know trying to um, realize. How the woe is me versus the realizing how lucky we are is a good mindset. And this, for my book on family, one of the things I like to think about uh, is, maybe I don't like to think about it, but it's interesting to think about, is the, I have uh, two parents and then they have two parents. So those, my grandparents had to have sex and then their parents had to have sex. So you go back like 10 generations there's a lot of sex going on to create you. Like the amount of orgasms that had to happen in the proper way for you to exist is yeah. mind-boggling. Yes, it is. So you should, we got to be thanked. And the, the bad part is, you know, picturing your grandparents having sex. Maybe you don't want to do that. But the good part is you got to be marvel at the, uh, just the improbability that you yeah. exist. You know what's a fun, and I'm not, I haven't talked about this on a podcast before, but if you peruse... Uh, any kind of the big porn tube sites. And I've noticed this trend getting way out of control, just front page of the site. 
like over 50%, it looks like, of the popular videos that populate have some kind of family tie or connection that's, that's going weird. on. That's weird. And it's, it's like it's like the last taboo it's now. Exactly what I was going to say. That it's the people last are like taboo. getting excited about because this hedonic tolerance of I've seen everything, I've seen right. everything, and right now that last taboo of the thing it's that you're not supposed stuff. to think about is family stuff. That's and it's like so weird to me. I'm like, how do you like? But for it to be on the front page, they're just putting what works. Right. You know, like users it, are voting with their market, users yeah. are voting with their clicks based upon the titles. <laughs> so for some reason, like it's just this kind of constant so interesting. pushing yeah, of taboos. I, well, I do have a chapter in my book on first cousin and second cousin marriage and what are the ethics of that. And I actually came around. I am now I mean, I'm not gonna be marching in the streets for First cousin marriage, but I don't think it should be outlawed. I don't think it's immoral. Because um, in the United States, half of the states say you're not allowed to marry your first cousin, but half say you can. And uh, the main argument is that you'll have kids with birth defects. But if you look at the statistics, it's pretty much the same as a a 40-year-old woman having a kid. Same risk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So are you going to say, no, 40-year-old women can't have birth defects? And I interviewed, I spent some time with this guy who's head of the the Kissing Cousins Association. He calls himself KC. And uh, and he argues it's almost like the uh, the marriage equality, gay marriage, part two. Like, why, why are they wow. being targeted? And again, as I say, I don't feel the need to march in the streets, for, but I also... Just from a purely rational point of view, I'm like, I am not opposed to it. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, I think it points out that anything that you make, you go excessively taboo about, you know, where parents have to go overboard hiding the fact that they have sex, you know, (laughs) and like, and you can't talk about sex in the family. And it's like, everybody cringes and freaks out, you know, like, sex is just a natural part of life. And I think when you make something excessively taboo, I think then it becomes it locks into the the centers of the brain in a weird and odd way. And, you know, obviously, you know, there are certain hard boundaries with sexualities in in your family. But the natural loving act that created you is not something that should be revolting or taboo or like, oh, my God, and where you freak out. I've been thinking about this. I don't work in an office. I'm a writer, so I work pretty much at home. uh, But if I did work in an office, it would be weird because – it seems very dangerous to talk about sex in any way in a workplace, and I think um, I see the I see the positives of this because it can very quickly turn into an abuse of power mm-hmm. if you talk about sex. Uh, so that's the good part of this ban. Uh, but is there a way to talk about sex in the workplace without people feeling? Like they're being abused because to me, sex is such a huge part of life. It's like we wouldn't be here without it. So how can you talk? How, that's like eight to ten hours of your day where you can't talk about something that's really a huge part of human yeah. experience. And how I, do you do that? It's a very complicated issue that's coming up now, I think. And I think <clears throat> nobody corrects exactly to the balance point. And when the pendulum has been out of balance – then the correction goes way out of balance the other way. And I think 
there's been enough abuse of power and you know kind of patriarchal structures and in you know diff- like the Harvey Weinstein thing like people with power have abused their sexual privilege with other people and there's been enough of that that I think the pendulum is swinging the other way where just ordinary people can't speak about one of the fundamental satisfactions of appetite that keeps life going right in a in a very non you know, non-threatening way, just even speaking of it gets people freaked out. And I think that's the overcorrection that eventually is going to have to get so crazy that people are like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's relax, everybody. Not everybody is trying to offend you. This is sex. Sex is normal. Let's all just chill out a little bit. Right. Yeah, I I think it'll be very interesting to see how that plays out because, like, logistically, how do you do it? Like, where do you draw the line? And uh, But it is a fascinating topic. Yeah, I'm happy I, to talk with you about my yeah. sex life anytime you want. <laughs> yeah, likewise, cuz. All right. Well, yeah, we already talked about your sex life. <laughs> yeah. Ad nauseum. <laughs> Not ad nauseum. It was great. I love it. I actually, that was one of the things is um, in the Bible, it says you cannot touch your wife when she's in her time of month, when uh-huh. she's menstruating. And if you take Leviticus really literally, you cannot sit in a seat where a menstruating woman has sat. And my wife found that offensive, so she sat in every seat in our apartment, <laughs> and I had to stand for the year. But um, <laughs> so that, and I actually went into quite a bit of detail in that in my book, and my wife does have veto power. She rarely uses it. But that was one she's like, all right, we can talk about this, but let's not go into quite so much detail about my cycle. <laughs> and I think she was – like readers probably appreciate the uh, – uh, and, and kudos to your wife for, for like supporting you through all of these crazy experiments. She is experiments, a very patient right? woman. Yeah. I and mean, she doesn't awesome. do it. Like she's the control group. She's like, I'm not living by the Bible. But yeah. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. And – and just, what did, when you had that idea, I mean, what she like, she kind of knows that you're, you like doing these experiments, right? Right. So she's been, how long you guys been together? We've been uh, like 19 years okay. now. Okay. So she knows you. She oh, knows yeah. that when you have an idea like this, it's, you're going to do it. Probably, exactly. Right? Yeah. She, I mean, there are pros and cons for her. Like she's, you know, she wouldn't kiss me for seven months because of my huge beard, <laughs> which I washed every day, like shampoo, like it was clean, <laughs> but still. Uh, so... She did not. Li- she liked when I became a little more thoughtful and like love uh-huh. your neighbor and not gossiping. Like she, so there were pros of that. But overall, yeah, she is quite patient. Um, the and the family one, she was excited about because you know it's family. But the problem was I spent all this time interviewing my like seventeenth cousins that I actually was neglecting my wife and kids. Part, <laughs> right, so it was right, not. Right, right. And as part of the book, I threw this. The ending is, uh, not to spoil it, but there was a a global family reunion. So I tried to put on the biggest family reunion for the human family. So that's happened. That has happened. And And how'd that go? It was, well, again, no spoiler, but it was the weirdest day of my life. It was definitely, I mean, just the people who showed up, it was like... uh, there was a rabbi, a minister, and a Buddhist monk. It was like a joke, the setup to a joke. There was like random celebrities, Mary Lou Henner from <laughs> 80s sitcoms and yeah. uh, Dr. Oz and David Blaine and just the freestyle Frisbee champion of the world. So just the most random. That's what I wanted. Yeah. Like how – weird can we make this mix to show that we are all the same so in some ways it was a a success and personally 
I was miserable the entire time. <laughs> I was just like in pain because I was just worried about everything going sure. wrong. Like, sure. you know, when you throw a party, that's the way. But I this was you. like a party for thousands of people. I hear you. Well, this is awesome. It's been awesome sitting down, and I'm looking forward to all your next experiments to come. This Thank gratitude you, book sounds incredible as well. I'll definitely oh, good. Well, I can't wait to read yours. I love the yeah, idea, thank, thank and you. Uh, and I loved being on the podcast. Yeah, so likewise. All right, so latest book, It's All Relative, Year of Living Biblically, and where else can people find you? AJJacobs.com or uh, Twitter, at AJJacobs, you name, wherever uh, wherever there's internet, I'm there. All right. Well, thanks for listening, family. Look forward to meeting <laughs> you out there. Got to see a bunch of you here when I was in New York. That's awesome. I love meeting you guys. And now I'm going to love you even more because you really are family. <laughs> and I know that for real. Much love. Peace. If you're listening to this on the week of release, that means that Black Friday is right around the corner. And that means you should not be shopping at onit.com. What you should be doing instead is planning your fucking attack because everything is on sale. We're going to have exclusive products like our savory MCT online, which is badass and soups and stews. Doorbusters like 50% off our werewolf kettlebells and hatch green chili warrior bars. And actually everything is going to be on sale. 25% off supplements. It is by far the best time to shop at onit.com. Explore new products. Try new things. So check it out, onit.com slash Black Friday. And make sure you wait until Thanksgiving night before you buy anything from on it.